11 Dubcast. We're back in the house. Yay! That's our, theme. That's our new theme song. I'm Michael Citro. I'm Johnny Ginner. I don't approve of that. It's horrible. What? Let's 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 do. Some, we were talking about this earlier today. Let's do some Stevie Nicks. So, like a way like, we do sing songs and rocks. That'd be pretty good. You're way too high. She's living Dubcast. <laughs> we could do like you know Blackheart Blackheart Gold Pants does their thing, which is yeah. I really love of. And I wouldn't do it, A, because, you know, I don't want to bite their style, and B, right. not nearly as good. Like, I would I would completely suck at that. Like, that, the, they did that whole thing where they were, like, the Kanye West parody, and then they did, um, what was it, Blurred Lines? That was really great. They did a, they did a feral, um, uh, didn't they? Yeah, they, do? they did. They did Happy. They did, they did Happy. They did. Yeah. And it, it was great. So I wouldn't. It was awesome. Yeah, I don't I don't deign to uh, to pretend, I guess. That I we're not stealing. That. We're not stealing that. And besides, Adam Jacoby likes horses now, so he probably stick a horse on us. <laughs> he does like horses. Very specific joke right there. Orgies, not a lot. Corgis and horses. <laughs> all about them. All right, so Johnny, we're back to weekly now. Yeah, we are. Yes. It, it, that means it's football season. Yeah, it does. I mean, we we got to wait a little while, and it's going to kind of suck, like sitting on the sidelines while everybody else has fun. But yeah, we're we're about there. Yeah, and we're, you know, obviously we're kicking it off with a Labor Day Monday night evening football extravaganza yeah. at, Virginia, at Virginia Tech. Yeah. Going to go into the, the, the Metallica den there. Yeah. And um, <laughs> listen to a little yeah. Sandman. <laughs> and uh, after we listen to Sandman, it's it's time to crank it up, and uh, we're going to be missing four of our uh, four of our key players. Yeah. Yes. That's going <laughs> to. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about. It. We're gonna, we're gonna do like the big season preview next week, right? But like, mm-hmm. I gotta tell you something. And I'm not, I'm not really particularly worried about Virginia Tech. I know people are like hyping it up as Ohio State's best chance to lose during the regular season. I think that's completely wrong. Uh, you know, what are they gonna do? Bare front? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Is that what we're gonna throw at us? That old, that old, you know, standby. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm really just not worried about it too much. Um, I think that, um, I don't know. I think that the offense has just progressed to a point where even Bud Foster and company really, I think they're out of options. I think they picked the one thing that worked really well. And the other thing that we tend to forget about Virginia Tech last year, it's not like Virginia Tech necessarily blew Ohio State out, right? Right. Like this is a an offensive line that was still trying to gel. JT Barry, I think, got sacked, what, seven times that game? Yes, he did. So yep. And he was in his second ever collegiate game. They were the game was effectively tied going into the fourth quarter, more or less. So this is not like Virginia Tech came in, just stomped the crap out of Ohio State. And that means like, no, this was, this was a very close game at the end of the, uh, going into the fourth quarter. Um, I just think the offense for Ohio State is progressive to the point that they're not going to, they're not going to be slowed down that much by Virginia Tech. And Ohio State's defense has progressed to the point where I really don't see Virginia Tech really getting on a roll at all. I mean, remember, this is a team that took Wake Forest into overtime with zero points at the end of last mm-hmm. year. So, yes. yeah, I'm, not, I'm I'm just not worried about it. It's not something that I'm super concerned about. All right. Well, you know, the thing about Virginia Tech that does worry me is that they always seem to play way, way over their heads against ranked opponents. Yeah, um, you know, the, the bigger true. the game, the better they play. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's like, you know, they'll go out and they'll they'll have a stinker against Boston College or Wake Forest, but then they'll be like the number two team in the country or something. It's it's 
annoying is what it yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, to be sure, the environment's going to be completely ridiculous, right? Like, the Virginia mm-hmm. Tech, Lane Stadium's going to be nuts. They'll play Inner Sandman, everybody will lose their minds, and that'll be great. Like, I'm really looking forward to that. But I just think the teams on the field are just too different at this point. There's just too much going on with Ohio State right now in a positive direction, and I'm not super worried about it. Now, remember, this is the guy, you're listening to the guy who predicted a Virginia Tech loss last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> So what you're saying is you, we should all listen to you all the time. It's exactly what I'm saying. So, all right. But let's, you know, we we got a week to ruminate that. Let's, let's talk a little bit about camp. Uh, By the way, if I listen to anybody, it's going to be DJ Burns because <laughs> – he good, yeah, oh my God. He predicted a win over Alabama when Alabama was up 21-6. He did. He was on Slack saying, like, don't worry about it, guys. We got this. And I was like, oh, my God, DJ, shut up. <laughs> You're nuts, dude. You're nuts. Uh, and he was right. He was 100,000% correct. And then he did the same thing against Oregon because he, like, you know, he went on NPR. He said, nope, we're going to win by 20, 21. And they were laughing. I'm like, really? Did you see that crazy? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe DJ's a witch. Yeah, I think. Well, I know he's a witch. That's not. Okay. That's not a debate. I just. I just want to know how much I need to listen to him during this upcoming. Does he float like wood? <laughs> Does he burn like wood? Right. Uh, is he the same weight as a duck? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think he is. So anyway, oh. here's a question that I had for you, Michael Citro. All right. We've got that. We've camp's been going on. All these good things have been happening. Are you a little surprised that like the narrative? for the quarterback position hasn't been, like, super intense yet. Like, I know we've been talking about it, but it honestly feels like people have reached the conclusion that it doesn't matter, honestly. You know what I mean? Does that, yeah, I think does that it, make it sense? seems like that. Yeah, no, it, it does. It seems like people are, like, just waiting. I, I don't think that people are going to be up in arms until somebody wins the job. And then, like, the, the people that support the guy that didn't win the job are going to be up in arms. Yeah. But right now, I think everybody's just kind of laid back going, yeah, Cardale's got this, or yeah, JT's got this. And you know what's helped that a lot is, is die down in the media is that when he's asked about it, Urban Meyer just kind of shrugs it off. It's like, oh, right. what about the quarterbacks? Well, yeah. They're both doing good. Right. You know, <laughs> he's just so he's just so cool. He's just like, yeah, they're both doing a very good job. Yeah, and, and, the, the other players, and then he just stops. Yeah, the other players of their credit have done the exact same thing, right? Like nobody's tipping their hand either way. Like, yeah, Zeke Elliott was on the radio today, being like, "Yeah, they're both doing real great, they're providing leadership and working hard." Like, shut up, Zeke Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> Frank <laughs> Beamer, you're not you're not gonna know you're not gonna know which one it is, Frank Beamer, until you take the field. Oh no, and that's and that's and that's the thing. Like, I think maybe people have realized that too that. There's really going to be no hand tipping whatsoever until they actually get on the field. And even then, for the first quarter, you may not really be sure about who's going to get the most reps. So, yeah, how about know. this? How about the, the, they they come out from the sideline and Jones, Barrett, and Miller are all on the field together? <laughs> I mean, honestly, and that's what you do. You just shuffle. You just have them move positions pre-snap, right? Like they're constantly just shuffling pre-snap. And mm-hmm. then you never like every other uh, snap, somebody just gets a different, you know, different person gets the ball. I think that'd be great. Here's the thing about that kind of thing that I think would be awesome. Can you imagine watching Cardale Jones with a blitz pickup? <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Especially against, let's say we play like, I don't know, let's say we play like Hawaii or something. Some guy is like, God, I got on the team because I didn't, you know, I'm a walk on, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden he sees Cardale Jones is barreling towards him knocks him into the stands like that would be that would be pretty sweet i would enjoy that 
Yeah, some safety comes on a safety bus. Yeah, he looks up. Cardale Jones is waiting for him in the backfield. <laughs> be, that would be pretty awesome. I would enjoy. A guy it. who runs over nose tackles is waiting for you in the backfield. Uh, uh, that would be pretty awesome, I think. Michael, I know we're limited on time. I want to ask you one quick thing though before we before we have to move on to our other stuff here. So Pat Narduzzi was talking about this a little bit uh, when he was interviewed about you know defenses and things like that, and he said that Ohio State stole. Michigan State's defense and then applied it to theirs. And some people are like up in arms about him saying that or blah, blah, blah. I just wanted your quick hot take on that because I want to provide a scalding hot take of my own after you're finished. So I'm curious to see where you where you come down on that. Well, I think if he wasn't around in like 1886, he probably didn't invent that defense anyway. So he stole <laughs> right. it from someone else first. Yeah. So, yeah, it's – it, there's not really anything that's new. Things kind of come in and out of vogue, but nothing's really new. So it's like, do, do you see okay. that as an accusation, though? Do you see that as like, you know, like how well, dare Ohio State do that, or that would be? I a see bad it thing? as a, yeah, I see it partly as an accusation. It's like I built this great thing, and they just went and took it, and that's yeah. how come they bested us last year. I think part of it is, um, it's like a little disingenuous. Uh, you know, kind of thing where he's basically saying they couldn't have beat us unless, you know, we were as great as we are. And they yeah. took what we do and they used it against us. Okay. And so, I gotta, so he's making an excuse for the loss is what he's doing. Yeah. And I got to tell you something, though. Like, I definitely agree with that last part that you just said, where they are basically saying, like, we're awesome. They had to take our stuff, whatever. I do think there's an element of that. My point with this whole thing is that a lot of people were indignant about the idea that Ohio state would have to steal anything from Michigan state. Like, no, of course they didn't steal. Like, like, what, what universe are you living in? College coaches. If if something is successful, a coach is going to steal it. (laughs) Like that's okay. That's part of the game. That's like, you know, in my profession, I don't make up every single lesson plan that I teach. Do you think I make every single lesson plan that I teach from scratch? Hell no. I go online and I find stuff that works because, look, somebody sat me down early in my career and said, Johnny, good teachers make up all of their stuff. Great teachers steal everything they can get their hands on. And that it's the same with any other profession. If you are doing something that is competitive and that you are trying to improve yourself, you're going to look for ways – that other people have done to get better. And I have mm-hmm. zero problem. They could have stolen Pat Narduzzi's defense wholesale. And I completely 100,000% endorse that. If it means they're going to stop allowing people to rush for a hundred yards a game. I don't care. I think I don't either. And I think I, they could have, they could have actually did a, did a, a Tom Cruise mission impossible and stolen his playbook from his office. Yeah. And I would be fine with it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> look, I actually think it's even more baller if they used his defense to beat him last year. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, definitely. Like, we come into your house, we do exactly what you do, and then beat you at your own game. I think that's awesome, and I have no problem with it whatsoever. So I hope we did steal it from Pat Narduzzi, and I hope he has big old sour grapes about it because they <laughs> lost, and Ohio State Suck went it. on one national championship. So That's right. Suck it. Suck it, Pat Narduzzi. Yeah. I, I, you know, how many times have you watched a game where you've gone – uh, this has happened a, couple, a few Michigan games where I've been like, you watch the team screen pass you to death, and you're like, why don't we do that? Right. You know exactly, exactly. And and that's what you should do. You should say, okay, this is what you're doing. 
Yeah, we can do that too. That's right. And you know, we'll see how you like it. I mean, and look, if if playing quarters coverage wins you a national championship, then you play quarters coverage. The end. Yeah. Like that's it. And, and I'm quite sure that he didn't invent that. <laughs> I don't think so either. But no. I mean, maybe some of the concepts that he came up with were, you know, Pat Narduzzi originals. But even he built it on someone else's information. Right. Things don't right. exist maybe, in a vacuum. Like he came up with this particular scrape exchange. Right. Uh, right. With this, with the quarter coverage or something, you know, but it's not everybody's it's, Dick LeBeau. Like you got to realize it's, that it's variations on a theme. It's like blues, man. <laughs> it's like you got your basic riff and then you have your solo, right? Yeah. There you so, go. So there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think they probably did take some elements from it and I'm fine with it. It's fine. Yeah, completely agree. Well, you know, uh, we're back, and of course that means Finkus on football is back. And so joining us right now, our old friend Matt Finkus, former Ohio State defensive lineman. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Excited to be back. Football season is upon us. Quarterbacks and cheerleaders making out into the bleachers. It's all happening. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, well, you know, I'm, we're glad to have you back, and I, I want to dive right into this camp because I know you've been out to training camp and – and you've seen some of the things that have gone on, and I just wanted to get your overall thoughts on how the, um, you know, this uh, this pre-title uh, defense season has gone for Ohio State. You know, I think I was I was really impressed, uh, and I'll tell you the practice that I was most impressed with was last Wednesday morning. I actually went out to the practice, so you know you're about a week and a half in, and that is really the suckiest days of camp. For, for players. I mean, you're just, you're grinding it out. You've been, you know, living in a hotel with all those other sweaty guys. You know, those, that's the easiest time to just start, you know, shutting it down a little bit, feeling sorry for yourself and taking it easy. And I saw as an intense a practice as you would expect in practice one, two, or three when the guys just put the pads on. And I think that for me is something that really stood out. I mean, on days that the you know, on a day that the intensity should have been down, had every reason to be down, it was not down in the least. And I think that was the one thing, and I think that is the one thing that everyone is worried about is how is this team going to come back? How is it going to deal, you know, the unanimous selection of AP number one? Everyone's telling them you're, you're great, you're wonderful, you're the best thing ever made. I don't know how anyone is going to beat you. The Browns would lose to you by 14 points. You know, how do you deal with those expectations? How do you deal with that as a team? And I'll tell you what, what I saw last Wednesday uh, really impressed me. I mean, it, it wasn't a, a big thing, you know, where it was in the stadium or it wasn't a scrimmage. There was no reason to be fired up that day. And that team was, was into each other, you know, guys hold each other accountable, you know, pushing each other in that practice. And I think that was the most impressive thing uh, to me so far that I've seen out of this team. You know what, Pete Thamel had an article in Sports Illustrated Online today about kind of that same topic, about how the team is able to motivate itself from within. I think that's really impressive uh, that they're able to kind of continue that because it would be really easy to, easy for them to sit on their laurels. One of the things that I really want to ask you about, though, is, you know, we know we have all these great playmakers and, you know, offensive players and defensive players in Ohio State. They're bringing back so much from last season. But to me, one of the biggest concerns for the rest of the season is depth. And I guess I want to know from mm -hmm. you, what kind of depth have they been able to develop, you know, in this brief time that we've had prior to the season starting uh, that's really going to make an impact this year? 
You know, I think the depth, um, especially the, uh, well, let me start by saying this: the deepest position on the field, aside from quarterback, obviously, in my right. opinion, is the offensive line. I, I think that the offensive line has come from a point of weakness. You know, you go just back to the Virginia Tech game last year when it was really in shambles to probably, in my opinion, one of the strongest, deepest groups that there is on this football team. And that's saying a lot because there's a lot of talented positions out there. But, um, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some cause for concerns, too. You know, you've got a lot of young guys at the defensive back spot. Uh, the defensive line, there's, there's, not some, there's not a lot of youth there. Uh, as far as the depth, but it's unproven. Uh, you know, when you talk about guys like Sam Hubbard, who I think looks phenomenal, I'll tell you what, from the, the, the strides that Sam Hubbard has made since I first saw him in spring to what he has done in this camp, I think he has really made a transition and has a chance to be a real impact player. Uh, you know, I think the linebacking core is, is not just good in the front three. I think it's deep as well. And I, I really think that a lot of these young guys, um, you know, right now you're fighting for that backup spot. I mean, and, and a lot of times on a team, you know, that doesn't have good depth, that backup spot is, is kind of an appointed spot. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a spot that someone's resigned to. These guys are competing for that backup spot, and I think that's, that's the big difference. You know that some of these starters are so good that you're not going to be able to knock them off, but these young guys are competing for playing time. They, they know that they're going to be able to get a lot of playing time in that northern Illinois, Hawaii Western Michigan stretch of crap teams. So they're competing <laughs> for those backup spots. And, and I think that's, that's something that's really going to help this because you've got a lot of young five-star talent, quote unquote, that is really in there competing to try to get playing time on Saturdays. Matt, tell me one guy from each side of the ball who was a backup last year that's going to make an impact this year. Backup last year going to make an impact this year. I think the offensive side is pretty easy for me. I think it's Nick Vanette. Uh, you know, I mean, you can call him a backup. Uh, you know, he had a lot of playing time, especially with Hireman Hurt. But, uh, you know, to, to, I think to move into, a, into more of a feature role, I think Nick is ready to make that transition. He's a big physical tight end that has great ball skills as well. I think that, that he's going to be that guy. You know, Urban likes to try to utilize that tight end for mismatches when he can with all the weapons on the field. I think that, that I think Nick is really going to have the chance to shine in some bright spots here for this team offensively. He might be kind of the forgotten man, but I think when he hits it, he's going to hit it for big plays. I think he's going to be crucial in blocking downs as well. He's really worked on his footwork and his hand placement as far as coming off the ball. And I expect a lot of big things out of Nick this year um, on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's going to be that, Whoever that end is opposite Joey Bosa, that, that's the guy who I think is really going to have the chance to shine. Whether it's uh, you know whether it is Sam Hubbard or or Thomas or you know whoever that that guy is, and I think that it's going to be a rotation. Um, Jalen Holmes is in there as well. I think that that spot has the real opportunity to make some big plays because you've got a, you've got Adolphus Washington, you know you've got Tommy Shutt up front as well, who I think has, has had a pretty good camp. Obviously, after this first game, you're going to get Joey Bosa back. If he can stop getting detained by the police, then then there's going to be an opportunity because protection has to shift. I mean, there's just too many good guys. You know, that's why Mike and I, Rabel and I, were so effective is because you couldn't shift your protection, and it led to one-on-one matchups. Right now, Joey Bosa is going to dictate a lot of double-team, a lot of help. That's going to lead to the one-on-one matchup on the other side and an opportunity for those guys to make some hay if they if they're able to. So I'm looking for whoever that other defensive end is that's replacing Steve Miller to really have a good season because I think there's a lot of young guys that have some great potential. 
You know what? I want to ask you this. So this is maybe a little cynical of me, but I have seen so much about how Cardell Jones and JT Barrett have had this really like collegial friendly rivalry where they've both been like, you know, supporting each other and like whoever's the best will play. And I think, you know, they got to just choose one guy. Is it really possible that they are that like just locked in and, and, and cool with it? Or is there more maybe going behind the scenes than it kind of appears with that where, where they are really like competitive or, or just maybe like gunning for this? No, I think they're both very competitive, and I think they're both supremely confident that they're going to get the job. And I think that's why you, you, you might see the way that they act in the media. Because I think each one of them is looking at the other guy like, buddy, you're going to be the one sitting the bench. <laughs> they can they can be that cordial guy like, yeah, you know, whatever happens, happens. In the back of their head, they're like, man, I'm the man. I, I'm going right. to get this job. Um, so, I, I, you know, I don't think that there's going to be a riff. I, I don't think that you're going to have that. I also don't think you're going to see a two-quarterback system. Well, it looks like we lost Matt, <laughs> and uh, but you know what? He had some great answers as always. We're 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 gonna have him back weekly now that we're back in uh, in the football season, and uh, we really appreciate Matt's uh, take on uh, the fall camp. So, um, you know, uh, the only thing we're sad about is he didn't get to uh, be part of this, which is ask us anything. Yeah, you know what though? I like as much as I'm excited for ask us anything. I'm pretty sure this is some kind of conspiracy to silence. Matt Finkus from the airwaves, <laughs> and I, John Ginner, will not rest until I find out what has happened to our good friend. So hopefully we're going to have him back next week. If he's been renditioned to some black site, you know, some, like, off-the-grid site in, like, uh, you know, Siberia or something, then, then we'll find out. And I will I will get to the bottom of this. I swear. Free Matt Finkus. That's Free right. Matt Free Finkus. Matt Finkus. <laughs> Matt Finkus goes to Guantanamo. Yeah. All right, so there I'm gonna have a little drink of my mellow yellow. <laughs> you know uh, what? You know what, Michael? I heard I heard a mellow yellow commercial today, and it was one of the most surreal things I've heard in a long time on the radio. Uh, it was basically like this this good old country boy saying like, "I start every morning with my mellow yellow." <laughs> so, does, does drinking mellow yellow does that make you feel more in touch with uh, Mother Earth and fishing and wearing camouflage baseball caps? No, it makes me feel like Wendy shouldn't have run out of Coke. <laughs> I like Mellow Yellow. I'm a, I'm a fan of Mellow Yellow. Uh, yeah, you know. Eleven Dubcast brought to you by Mellow Yellow. It's It was my <laughs> It was my second choice. See, my tonight was the very first night uh, my six-year-old had soccer practice. Oh. And uh, so we went out there after work and stood in the hot sun and watched her practice for an hour. And then there's like a Wendy's like right around the corner so we stopped there for dinner and that's why i got the mellow yellow because they were they were out of coke gotcha. uh, but i got my spicy chicken sandwich so i'm more of a i'm more of a uh, ale eight guy myself when i'm when i'm coming to those types of drinks but yeah, so hard okay. to find in ohio i mean it's it's really more of a kentucky thing and it's probably one of the the truly great uh pieces of art to come from kentucky is is the ale eight deliciousness so yeah i'm a little sad right. about that i don't know well, before we get to our mega guest, because we've got a really great uh, special guest we this do. week. We do. We um, do. Before we do that, we're going to do our Ask Us Anything. And, Johnny, would you mind passing along that information? Because it's been a while. Well, it has been a while. You can ask us anything in a couple of different ways. First, you can send us an email, which increasingly fewer people are doing. I, that's a bit of an oxymoron, but fewer people are doing on a regular basis. But I still encourage it. I like the old emails. Yeah. So. You can send an email to dubcast at 11warriors.com, D-U-B-C-A-S-T at 11warriors.com. 
Or you can hit us up on uh, Twitter if you're a Web 2.0 person. You can hit us up on Twitter at, um, I think it's at 11dubcast. Is that correct? It is. Okay. Spell it all out. Yeah. So at 11dubcast, just spell it all out. And ask us literally anything because that's cool. So It is cool. And, you know... I don't know. Maybe soon you'll be able to Snapchat us your your questions or Periscope <laughs> us your questions Send because the kick. social media, Send the social media kick. thing just yeah, it just continues to take off. Yeah, I know. I I'm, think... up, I'm up on all these new social media things because I I'm a teacher. I have to be. It's like part of my yeah. Social media is is I think Johnny I think is here to stay. <laughs> I don't know, Michael. Maybe it's not though. I think it's going to catch on. Okay. I think it's gonna it's gonna be. It's going to be huge. Well, I trust your analytical skills when it comes to business startups. So I'm going to I'm going to put all of my money into Yik Yak, and I'm going to watch my investment grow over the next twenty to thirty years. What's the uh, What's the Korean one? Oh God, the one that uh, DJ loves. DJ's into this uh, Korean social. No, media I know site. what you're talking about though. There's also one for uh, China that's similarly popular, and it's kind of the same deal. I don't know. Oh, we'll have to ask DJ. We'll yeah. have DJ on next week to explain his... Oh, we've got to have... How do we not have DJ on? DJ, I don't think DJ is wild about the idea. <laughs> well, But but he the, was on the more and killed it. He straight killed it. So I think he. I don't think he can avoid the 11 Dubcast anymore. I think he's a big radio star, and he's got to show his face here a little bit. You can't duck us any longer, DJ. That's kind of BS. DJ Burns. Yeah. DJ, DJ Burns. Warren G. Harding's mouthpiece. Um... <laughs> Okay, so let's get to the Ask Us Anything. We're going to start on Twitter, and uh, Brad Brits, at Brits Bradley, has a great question, Johnny. This is a great question, and I've thought about this all day, and I have no idea what I'm going to say, but I'm going to try to, like, wing it. All right. Well, I mean, that's what What? I do my entire life with everything. (laughs) Johnny, what is your greatest fear? Oh, my greatest fear. Well, (laughs) I have lots of fears. I'm, I'm a very scared man in a lot of ways. A lot of things I'm not afraid of, right? Like a lot of the common fears I just don't have. I'm not afraid of the dark. I don't care about the dark. Whatever. I'll sit in the dark for as long as I need to. I'm not afraid of most animals or anything like that as long as it's not about to chomp me. You know, great white shark. I get in a cage. Honestly, I do one of those scuba diving cages with a great white shark or like sharks and stuff. As long as I can't get in the cage, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, I hate flying. Flying scares the crap out of me. I don't like flying, but it's not probably my greatest fear but my greatest fear is probably just death in general. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I don't, you know, I just feel like life is precipitated on not dying, right? Like, once you die, you're not alive. I like being alive. Yeah, I don't want to die. And I just logical. try to avoid behavior that might increase my odds of dying. And that's really stupid because I'll drive around in a crappy 2001 Chevy Cavalier that's got, like, a one-star crash test rating. But I'm afraid to get on a plane, even though like I'm a thousand billion times more likely to die just driving to work than to fly on a plane for a couple hours. But my, I never said I was a logical scaredy cat. I'm just, I'm a big scaredy cat. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I I'm the same way. I'm like, I'm not afraid of like spiders and snakes yeah. and stuff like that. It's not a big deal to me. And, uh, but, uh, I am afraid of. I, yeah, I don't like to fly. And it's mostly it's a it's that's like related to a fear of heights I have. I don't I'm not big on heights. Yeah. I went up I went up in the CN Tower once in Toronto. Yeah. And they have they have these glass floors. <laughs> 
So you're like standing, looking straight down, you know, I don't know how many stories it is, 100 stories or whatever it is, and you're looking right. straight down. And, you know, these kids are jumping up and down on the glass floor. And I know that these kids aren't strong enough to break this, sure. but this has been tested and whatnot. But I'm like scared to death that these kids are going stupid, Michael. They're dumb because <laughs> they, don't, they don't understand that they're mortal yet. That's the thing. Like, you, yeah. there's a certain age when kids start to understand that they're mortal, and then they get a little afraid of things. But until they get to be like 10 or 11, they're like, I can do whatever I want. I'm never going to die. <laughs> and they do dumb crap like that. But, um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of heights either, but it's not so much. It's more like ledges. Like, I'll be on top of a big mountain, and I've, I've you know, I've gone to tops of mountains and stuff. I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. I have no problem being, like, on a big bluff that overlooks something. I just don't like the edge of them. Like, but I'll be up there all day long. I don't care how tall it is. But, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. just the threat of falling kind of freaks me out. Right. Well, I mean, that's that goes without saying. I mean, I, I, I've walked up some, you know, some trails up mountain trails and stuff before and I've looked at and it's been great but I'm not getting anywhere near that edge yes. like nowhere near it I'm, a, I'm clumsy stand... enough as it is I don't I don't want my obituary to read like Johnny Enter died because he was an idiot like his shoelace was untied so he's dead like that, that that's not a great legacy to leave uh, my family I guess so yeah I, I guess like my probably my greatest fear is that something happens to my family or somebody that a loved one yeah really that's pretty scary um, too yeah, my I mean, greatest fear is that Urban Meyer won't uh, stay Ohio State's head coach long enough to win three more national titles. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, I became a father six years ago. Yeah. So like, I mean, I had a stepdaughter, but like, I, I became a, like a she was she was seven when when I inherited her. Yeah. Um. So I didn't go through the the that whole portion of her life when she was like so little and so vulnerable that you like. You'd get up in the middle of the night and go see if she's breathing, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, but that's kind of what, like, I'm afraid that something could happen to my daughter, and that that's probably my greatest fear. Well, see, that that's your first fa- mistake, Michael, because you really should never have formed human attachments. And- don't, don't, don't procreate. Um, <laughs> that's, I think, the lesson here. The other thing I think is, that I'm afraid of is that something will happen to me, and people will think it's something else, like. Somebody will text me right as they get in a car crash, and they'll think, oh, that asshole was texting and driving. <laughs> like, I wasn't. I really wasn't, you know? But I'm not here to defend myself. And, You're just uh, shouting you know, from heaven, like, no, that's not yeah. it. Or, you I know, like... because um, of that. I would just, I just scratch my butt. God. Something happens, you know, and I, I, I have a heart attack while somebody simultaneously walks next to me, and, then, oh, there's a cop, so the guy, like, plants his cocaine on me. And no. it's like, oh... He, Idiot was on drugs. Oddly <laughs> specific fear. I, I kind of yeah, in awe of that. It's, that's good. Yeah, it's it's not that ex, that exact fear, but it's like that family of fears. So something will happen to me, and everybody will think that that I'm like this. Uh, what's it called? The Darwin Awards. <laughs> yeah. Like that somebody is, will be like, is, "Oh, well, he was an idiot." <laughs> yeah. See, well, look. I mean, so, we're born naked and screaming. We die naked and screaming. So. Uh, well. You know, if you're lucky, it's the, if you're lucky, it's the right kind of naked and screaming. Right. Um, you know, what, what's the old joke? I, I want to go. I don't want to go screaming. I want to go peaceful in my sleep, like my the butt of my dad when he was driving the car, or whatever. <laughs> good joke. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't hear that one. That is a good joke. Uh, what's, uh, our, what's our next ask us? All right, so Jesse Bowden. So this has been super morbid so far. There you go. It was really, it was really long. Jesse Bowden wants to know: since the quarterback competition is deadlocked, it needs to be decided by completing the Ninja Warrior course. Oh man, who goes the farthest and why? Uh, <laughs> oh, 
Uh, I enjoy this question because I have watched a ridiculous amount of American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> I have no doubt it. Uh, because I've had mostly little to do, so it's just, let's, let's turn on American Ninja Warrior. All right, so quarterback competition. Here's the thing. First of all, Cardale Jones is completely screwed. Like, you got to understand, completely screwed. American Ninja Warrior, if you guys haven't seen it, is essentially just a big obstacle course for adults where they have to compete uh, and complete, rather, all these different kind of little obstacles. A lot of them involve balance, ton of upper body stuff. You know, they're, like, doing pegs. It's a lot of rock climbing-esque things where they have to, like, swing from one thing to the next. It's basically meant for people who are under five foot eight. If you are if you are around five foot eight, five foot seven, five foot six, you are ideal for the American Ninja Warrior course. If you are above six feet tall, you are completely screwed because a lot of the things there's a watery pit underneath all of these obstacles. If you touch the water, you're out. And the second obstacle in every single American Ninja Warrior course is this thing where you bounce. Uh, from a trampoline and you try to grab onto cargo netting, right? And that dangles uh-huh. over this watery pit. Cardell Jones would be out there. Like, he would be done. Because even if he perfectly did it, you've got to somehow maneuver your way underneath this cargo net a couple inches above the water. He wouldn't be able to make it. He's too big. He's way too big. <laughs> JT Barrett might have a better chance. Now, JT Barrett's not a small guy himself. He's He's pretty big by normal human standards. But mm-hmm. I have to believe that with his more compact body – right? His lighter weight, because I got to tell you something, a lot of these guys who are really good at this are like five foot seven, 145 pounds. Like they're ripped, right? Like they're all muscle, but they're slight of build is what I should say. I think Uh JT Barrett's got the distinct advantage here. He would probably get, I would say maybe to the third or fourth obstacle, uh, maybe crap out like at the salmon ladder where you got to like take this bar and like hop up. I think that might do him in, but Cardell Jones done after the first event, after the first obstacle. He's forget it. So, Neither all right. Well, played any course though. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take your word for it because I'm actually not somebody that's ever watched the Ninja Warrior it's, course. It's, it's a good, it's a good little thing. I mean, it's stupid. It's just a big obstacle course for uh, for adults, but it's it's interesting. You yeah. know, kind of fun. I've watched the I watched a version of that that's called Wipeout. Yeah, Wipeout is basically just making fun of people. Like, American Ninja Warrior does take, I would say, a pretty large amount of of athleticism. Um, it's yeah. it's definitely not for just some random Joe Schmo who wants to, like, run across big bouncy balls or something. It's it's, in, it's incredibly difficult. Um, yeah, and, and Wipeout is intentionally impossible. Right. Um, many of their obstacles, they want you to. I mean, the name of the game is Wipeout. Yeah, I mean. They want you to wipe out. American Ninja Warrior is based off a Japanese show called, I think, Sasuke, which is essentially the same thing, but it's like like it's supposed to simulate ninja training. Uh-huh. And it has, at the end of it, there's this unbelievably difficult course that people have to complete. And I think in however many seasons of Sasuke they had in Japan, maybe only two or three people actually completed the final course. So out of uh-huh. like thousands that tried. So it's it's intentionally very, very difficult. It's not just so like some bum can off the street just like haphazardly wander their way through it. It's it's really tough. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there you go, Jesse Bowden. Uh, there's your answer. Uh, Cardale Jones is going to lose that battle. He's, oh, my God. He's like, just too damn big. Almost to me. He's just too damn big. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, I believe we have a question from the emails, the old uh, – the old email, which is now almost a snail mail with this whole social media no. extravaganza going on. Uh, Andrew has a very simple question for us, but I, I think this is, I don't know, we can make this a, an interesting Is that Mr. Andrew Hire? No, Andrew Lust. Oh. And not Andrew oh. Hare. Yeah, he's not, he's not around. 
Um, so, hey, guys, I've got a question for you. If you have the unfortunate need to pass through a certain city with the initials AA, what would an appropriate gesture be to show your distaste for that school up north? Now, I, I have an opinion on this. Before I'm not going to let you jump in first. I have an opinion on this. And I'm not going to go with the old double bird, although that would be, you know, that, that's, that would be fun. That's a little old hat. It's a little passe. I think somebody already took care of that one for us. So yeah, Nobody will ever do that as well as Marcus Hall. No. <laughs> He's already cornered the market on the double bird in Ann Arbor. Yeah, I got to tell you something. That's the most triumphant double bird I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I love Marcus Hall so much. It's just it's so funny to watch that over and over and over because he just – he means it. You know what I mean? It's not oh, yeah. one of those things where I'm like, eh, screw you guys. It's like he really wanted everyone in the stadium to see that, and that was awesome. Yeah. If he could have shot lasers out of those middle <laughs> fingers, it, he would have. I want, like death rays. It would have been really cool if he was like some kind of Voltron, like his forearm just like blasted <laughs> off like with rocket power off of his body and just flew around flipping everybody off in the entire stadium. Um, so I can't do that. I'm not I'm not that cool. What I would do is probably the old like uh, like under the chin like hey, hey go you boy hey hey you know where like you 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 do your thing at you know what i'm saying like where you uh-huh. not flipping somebody off but like you're under your chin i'm trying to do it like i'm trying to show you but it's a freaking podcast so you can't see it but yeah you know like hey yo forget you buddy i think that's the kind of thing that i would do hmm yeah i think i know what you're talking about it's kind of like i think robert de niro has done that yeah in a, yeah. In a movie yeah. Or two. yeah yeah okay um I don't know how how would I show my distaste for for that uh, town of North. Gest- yeah, it's got to be a gesture, and not like and not like a you know, I got you a nice card gesture. It's got to be like a physical hand gesture. I think I would just drive around um, honking my horn while holding my nose, <laughs> like just to show everybody that I don't. I, I, I don't like stink. you. I think they smell bad. Oh. <laughs> they have they have poor personal hygiene in Ann Arbor, That's... and it collectively is this noxious cloud that, that exists. And that that's what I would try to convey so in rude. just a, a couple of hand gestures. So rude. Um, <laughs> okay, well, good. There you go. And and I hope, Andrew, that has answered your question. Thanks for the question, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. And, and thanks to all who uh, asked us anything. We're back weekly, folks. So, you, you know, you can get your question answered within seven days. Now, you don't have to wait a month like you did all summer. Yeah. I mean, if you're planning on, like, should I get this like rhinoplasty or should I like divorce my wife? Like these are all questions that you can get answered ASAP. All right. These are, yeah. these are things that we can help you out with very, very quickly. So I would definitely recommend that any life changing decisions you, you bring to us cause we'll help you out. And the more life changing they are, the more important it is that you ask us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Friends and family are stupid. How about internet strangers for a change? <laughs> All right, so that's Ask Us Anything. Hit us up on Twitter and uh, in the email, as uh, Johnny has pointed out to you, and um, get those questions in for next week. All right, joining us this week on the 11 Dubcast, we're uh, we're very pleased to have special guest uh, Dave Revson, the lead studio host for BTN. Dave, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Hey, Michael. Hey, Johnny. What's going on, guys? Not too much. I just got back from D.C., and I'm, I am I was avoiding, like, college anything for a couple of days, and now that I find myself back in the thick of it, I'm really glad that you're you're on tonight, and we can ask you all kinds of questions and good stuff. <laughs> yeah, we're, cool. do, we're doing great. I'm glad to be that sounding board, yeah. <laughs> I'm, we're really happy to have you on, because you're in the midst of your tour right now of all the, the 
camps. And yeah. so I think I want to open up with, I know you were very impressed at Rutgers uh, earlier. Who, you know, which you haven't been to Ohio state yet. That's next, but you know, who is impressing you here in this preseason tour? Yeah, we were impressed with Rutgers or I was impressed with Rutgers kind of relative to what I think people believe they're going to be. I mean, I think it's a program that's on the right track. They ran a great scrimmage. I don't think Rutgers is going to be competing at the upper echelon of the Big Ten East this year. I mean, it seems to me that is Michigan State and Ohio State's domain. We've seen the Spartans. They looked fantastic. We get to see Ohio State coming up here tomorrow, and I have no reason to believe that they will not look as good, if not better, uh, because, you know, we're talking about a team that's absolutely loaded and that brings the overwhelming majority of its production back from a year ago. I was actually looking at uh, today on the bus ride here from Rutgers. They return 88% of their offensive production from last year. That doesn't include Braxton Miller, of course. And then, you know, last year, just by comparison, when Braxton got hurt, they were returning 12% of their production and they won the national championship. So, Staggering to think how good they could be, but uh, the teams we've seen so far, Michigan State has been the best one. So let me ask you this. Um, the end of last season, I feel like the Big Ten, because of their success in, during the bowl season, kind of transformed from this kind of Willie Loman-like conference to one with a little bit of confidence, a little bit of swagger. Has that kind of continued on into camp season? Are, are the expectations as a whole – that much higher going into the, the season this year? I think the expectations are higher, Johnny, and, and I think that's great. Um, you know, the Big Ten kind of rode this wave of having two teams finish in the top five. It was the first time that had happened in nearly a decade. You had the really great January 1st, and then, of course, Ohio State winning the national championship. So I think, unfortunately, in our society, and I think this works well for the Big Ten this year, the narrative is kind of people like to know what's going on at the top. Who's the ultimate winner? I think that helps the Big Ten. It has hurt the Big Ten in some past years where I actually think the league was pretty good but didn't come away with a national title, and people kind of said, okay, well, you know, why didn't you win it all? Last year they did win it all. I still think there are some concerns with some of the you know kind of historical elite powers in the league, you know, particularly I think in general the Big Ten West, there are some concerns with, but the narrative right now is that the Big Ten is back, and it's a function of you know a few of those teams at the top really doing well, including a national champ, and and I think we're more than happy to ride that narrative. Dave, as a as a media member covering uh, college football and specifically the Big Ten, um, obviously the the biggest story out of Columbus is the quarterback battle. Uh, how do you, as a media member covering this? How do you see this sort of unprecedented uh, thing unfolding, and, and what do you think will happen with the quarterback battle at Ohio State? I am totally fascinated to watch it tomorrow. Uh, I My feeling all along has been that JT Barrett will be the quarterback. Uh, assuming he is 100% healthy, and the reports certainly seem to be that he is 100% healthy, I just feel like, look, you can't go wrong with either guy, and, and I almost feel – it's a crazy situation. I've never seen anything like this. I've never had a, seen a team have two Heisman Trophy caliber players in one position, let alone three, which, you know, truth be told, is, is what Ohio State had. Obviously, Braxton Miller's kind of removed himself from that discussion. I guess I just feel that they are so explosive. They're so good in so many places. The defense is so sound. I feel like 
J.T. Barrett is the steadiest answer, and I, my sense is that steady is what they need. I don't think they need a quarterback who's necessarily going to make the huge play. I think they need the quarterback who's going to avoid the mistakes, which isn't to say J.T. Barrett can't make huge plays. Um, but, you know, I guess I kind of pigeonhole Cardale Jones as the more explosive guy and J.T. Barrett is is a little bit steadier. Um, but I, I fully expect that both of them will play in some capacity. I, I know they've said they don't want it to be kind of a 1 and 1A. One uh, both those guys articulated that position. I respect that. But I think whoever the starter is, it, you'd be crazy not to figure out a way to get the other one on the field somehow. So I kind of want to bring it a little farther uh, back in the Big Ten a little bit, just to, to expand the view a little bit, because one of the things I really wanted to ask you about was, do you get as giddy as we do uh, talking about Jim Harbaugh? Because we, like, I, I understand, like, they talk about his quirkiness, but we take immense pleasure on our site, and I know some of the other blogs, talking about his just complete insanity and I, I guess I wanted to know how much do you guys really take that in when when you say like Jim Harbaugh took off a shirt and ran around and challenged people to fights and stuff like is that something that you guys really get into during the course of the off season and of course leading up to the season like that? I mean, it's been a fascinating story since Jim Harbaugh took this job. I mean, it just seems like he finds his way into the headlines. He is unabashedly himself, and I respect that. Uh, I think that there's just something that there's a magnetism to what he's doing. And what I find fascinating is that even fans of opposing teams are somehow, whether they're enjoying it or not, I think it's hard to say. You can never kind of uniformly say that a group, one group of people is or isn't enjoying it. But I think there is this collective sense. And, and we've started to see as the Big Ten was, a little bit of a punching bag here for years, that for the league to be at its absolute best, you need your historically great programs to be good. And that, that doesn't mean that they're good at the exclusion of other programs. You know, for instance, I think Michigan State people bristle at that. That's not saying that you don't want Michigan State to also be great and be at the, in the best position that they've been in arguably ever. But I think the schools that have the historical built-in advantages probably need to be rocking and rolling too for the league to be at its true height. So Penn State needs to be good. Michigan needs to be good. Nebraska needs to be good. All of those programs. And then if Michigan State is not just good but great, and if Wisconsin is really, really good, and you know a few of the other programs, then all of a sudden, I mean, that's what the SEC has had in recent years. And, and so... I do, I have sensed this kind of, finally kind of this collective understanding among Big Ten people that we are to a certain extent all in this together. And I feel like other leagues have grasped that through the years, and now it seems like Big Ten fans are grasping that. And Jim Harbaugh is kind of a manifestation of that, that here is a guy who can help get Michigan to where they were. And as long as his team doesn't beat your team, if you're Ohio State or if you're Michigan State or wherever it is you are, that's a good thing. And and I think fans are starting to realize that. Dave, we're going to get to your book in a minute because it's pretty fascinating. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you about the traditional sort of also-rans in the conference. How is it that, you know, for decades we haven't seen an Indiana or an Illinois or a Purdue that 
can get to the level that they seemed to be able to get to back in the 80s. Bill Mallory had some really good Indiana teams, got them ranked. And the, you know, they had uh, some pretty good teams at Purdue with Drew Brees and, and that kind of thing. And, and, and Illinois, John Makovic actually had a pretty nice career there, and, and uh, that led to a, a job at Texas. What, what is it with this? You know, do you see it as a – is it facilities? Is it spending money on assistant coaches? Is it a combination of things? What is your take on that? Well, I think Indiana historically spending money on assistant coaches has been a bit of an issue. Uh, that is, that's one that a lot of fans don't think about, so that's a really good question uh, because that is a huge factor. Now, my understanding is that that has changed a little bit. Uh, they've also invested in facilities there. It, it, that, you know, that's just a tough job. It's a state that historically doesn't have a whole lot in terms of high-level prospects, and when they do – Ohio State goes in there and goes after them, or Michigan, or you have Notre Dame in, in the state, obviously, as well. Uh, so it you know, can be tough to keep the top guys in state. And then they just don't have the tradition. You know, It's viewed as a basketball school for whatever reason. So I think that's been the struggle with Indiana. I think this is a big year for Kevin Wilson because I think the schedule is conducive for them to do it. Illinois had a Rose Bowl team not too long ago. I mean, 2007, they're kind of up and down. Um, you know, it's just a feeling of not having ever – consistently capitalized on Chicago. They occasionally do, but again, a lot of teams like to go in there, and so it's, I think, tough sometimes for Illinois to get all of the kids that are the top-level prospects from Chicago to go to Champaign. But but that remains to me a job where I do think you can win consistently if you have the right guy in there. Uh, Purdue, you know, look, they were kind of consistently – making bowl games, and then they, you know, decided they wanted to shoot for the Rose Bowl. And, uh, you know, I get it. Um, but, I, I, you know, look, Danny Hope's last two teams were bowl teams, and I, I certainly hope General Hazel can get there. But, um, you know, I think it's dangerous sometimes to, to fire a coach who's having some success at a school that where it is difficult to win. So I think it's different explanations at different places. But I really do believe this. I mean, you know, we've had – you look through the years, you know, going back to when Northwestern had its rise, or maybe you even go back to Wisconsin's rise in the early 90s, and then Northwestern, and then Purdue, and Michigan State's having a, a great run here. We've seen Iowa have a good run. As I mentioned, Illinois made a Rose Bowl. I believe that every team in the Big Ten, if the cards fall right, can be a team that competes for the championship. Everyone has their own challenges and their own kind of narrative and their own way that they can win but all these places can win there's a lot of money floating around all these programs there's going to be even more with the television revenue there's no reason not to spend the money so it's just going to come down to hiring the right guy and giving him the pieces that he needs to get it going in the right direction yeah i think i completely agree with that i mean it's 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 really interesting how hiring in the big 10 in general i think has evolved over the past like 10 or 15 years to the point where as now I think it's much more competitive maybe than it used to be. Um, Dave, so let's talk about your book. You, you wrote the opening kickoff, uh, The Tumultuous Birth of a Football Nation, uh, kind of about the formative years of football in the United States, especially during like the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, just speaking as a, as a teacher, as a social studies teacher, one of the things I really appreciate about this book and something that really kind of was reminiscent of, uh, to me of books by guys like Timothy Egan from the New York Times and things like that, uh, was the really meticulous uh, research that you did, the citations, the notes. I really appreciate that, especially in um, 
what I would say kind of a field that lacks that a lot. Like sports writing, when it comes down to books, doesn't seem to have the kind of research that you and uh, other people put into this. Um, I just want to know, like, what was the process that you went through to gather all these really great sources of information for this book? Well, I spent a lot of time alone <laughs> in archives. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will say this, Johnny, it's easier to do. I mean, I can't imagine doing this book 15 years ago. Yeah. Now that everything's digitized, I mean, you can really so you can kind of search into a database. The New York Times, for instance, completely digitized. The Chicago Tribune's digitized. There are newspaper, 19th century newspaper databases. And so you can go in, and if you know how to use the databases a little bit, you can get yourself pointed in the right direction. And then once you've done that, then you know, a lot of stuff still isn't digitized. And then, but then you can go to the microphone and say, okay, well, I want to start, for instance, on the 1893 game between Princeton and Yale. I think that that game is indicative of the point I want to make. And so that was my first chapter, as you guys are aware of. Well, so once I honed in on that game through digital resources, then I was able to go back and go into maybe seven or eight other newspaper accounts of it that, that weren't digitized. So it, it was, it is easier now than, than I think it, it's ever been. But it was an arduous task. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It was <laughs> really hard. It took me four years to do it. It was painstaking. Uh, I didn't really know what I was doing, and I think that that, <laughs> that part of it probably, hey, I've never done anything like this. The longest thing I've probably ever written in my life was a, maybe a 15-page term paper in college. Right. And so, to a certain extent, ignorance was bliss, because you don't know what you're getting into, and by the time you, you realize how difficult it is, you've told too many people, and <laughs> you know, you've sold the book, and now you have to write it. So, I, I think... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I'm I'm so pleased with the way it came out. You know, the, the reception to it was great. It's coming out in paperback on September 1st, which is great. It's going to have New York Times bestseller across the front of the paperback. And um, that makes me feel really good, like the fact that, that for what it was, it did well. The people who have read it enjoyed it. You know, it's never going to be Seabiscuit, and that's fine. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really proud of what it turned out to be. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like your baby. I mean, you spend so much time on it. Uh, the gestation period, in fact, is much longer than baby. So, uh, so it was, you know, it was it was quite an undertaking, and I'm just happy with how it came out. I'm glad you liked it. Well, you should be happy because it it really is a good read. And uh, one of the things that I enjoyed about it is that it really humanizes these uh, these players that played so long ago that a lot of people haven't heard of them. And uh, for example, uh, O'Day from from Wisconsin. I think that there are some really great stories in there about him, but. What I, what fascinates me too is, is in this day and age we you know as Big Ten fans we hear all the time about how how dirty the SEC is and how they're paying players and this kind of thing and and it's not really a new thing this I mean it goes right back to the roots of college football doesn't it I mean some of the things some of the stories that you uh, passed along in your book you know go into the details but you know it, I, I think a lot of people would be interested uh, to to know that this has been going on since the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, that's that was what really blew me away, Michael. To me, that was my story. Um, you know, actually, as I kind of explained, I started down the path of telling Pat O'Day's life story, which, as you guys know, is a bizarre tale that kind of yeah. went off the rails. Uh, <laughs> right. But but, uh, but really, I was fascinated by him and taken in by him. But as I, as I dug deeper into it, it became clear to me and the people that I was trying to sell the book to that, 
all these other things that were going on on the periphery, the debates about amateurism and, and the thoughts of, you know, paying players, the academic improprieties that were going on, the massive injury crisis, the incredible media coverage, all of those things are so reminiscent of the same debates that we're having today in college football. And so I think at a certain point, I kind of came to this realization that that was really my story, that because I didn't know that, and I love college football, and I work in college football, and if I didn't know it, I felt that there were probably a lot of people out there who didn't know it. And I think it's really instructive, too. And, you know, Johnny, as a, as a social studies teacher, I think you would mm-hmm. probably agree with this. The way to get history to resonate with people is to make them understand how instructive it can be of their current life, of what's oh, going absolutely. on today. And I, and I think there's just so much to be learned from the history of the game. And now whether or not it's, it's positive stuff to be learned or not, you know, I kind of leave that up to the reader. I mean, on, on <laughs> one hand you could say, well, you know, this thing's, uh, it, it's been a challenge from the get go and we're never going to be able to clean it up. Or on the other hand, it kind of lets us off the hook, right? I mean, no one ever had this <laughs> thing right. It, it, you know, it was, it was a problem from the get go. And so it, it, it's not about us. It's about all these other factors and, uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, I was I was just taken in by it, and and uh, that's what set me down the road. But uh, but I do think it's incredible to see the similarities between then and now. Well, and that's I really am glad you said that because one of the things that I kind of wanted to ask you about. I guess there were two things, but I really like how you kind of uh, you know ended the whole tale here with a recounting of the championship game between USC and Texas, and and how a lot of those same issues have come up again in just a different form. And I, I just think that's something that people really should keep in mind because there is, history can be very instructive in certain ways. Um, the other thing I really enjoyed about this book is the fact that it brought to light to me a lot of things that um, maybe people wouldn't normally be aware of, or at least it challenges some maybe preconceptions, preconceptions that people might have about uh, historical events, especially related to college football, one of the things I was thinking about specifically was Teddy Roosevelt's involvement in uh, making the game safer. And, and as you kind of talk about in the book, he did have the involvement, but it's not that Teddy Roosevelt came in with the, you know, the big stick and, and forced people to change. It was more, much more collaborative than that, I think, in a lot of ways. And, and in your book, um, I guess the question that I had for you was, who do you think are really kind of uh, the focal people that people should really be focusing on when it comes to how the game changed and evolved during that really critical period? Well, Walter Camp is obviously a really important kind of seminal figure, and it was fascinating to me. He comes off very poorly in the book, as you are aware, uh, as a guy who was far more interested in what was going on with Yale than he was in the big picture of the sport and in kind of the well-being of the people who were playing it and the competitive balance and all of those types of things. And again, I mean, I would liken him in some ways to, let's say, Nick Saban. You know, when Nick Saban was trying a few summers ago to get the spread offense, basically legislated <laughs> out of the game, or the, hur- the hurry-up offense anyway. Right? right. And that wasn't about making the game safer. That was about the fact that Nick Saban has a really hard time stopping the hurry-up offense. And in much <laughs> the same way, you know, Walter Camp, with his offense, which was a brutal offense, uh, which was causing a ton of injuries. And as people were trying to legislate that offense out of the game, Camp stood in the way and, in fact, didn't sign off on the new rules 
when they did, in fact, kind of legislate the forward passage of the game and, and minimize the, the effectiveness of, of his offense or at least open up the, the game for other forms of offense. So he comes off poorly. You know, I aim at Alonzo Stagg. He comes off really poorly. And, of course, the Big Ten <laughs> Championship Trophy is, is named after him. You know, I always had this sense that Chicago was this bastion of purity and that at a certain point the game kind of went off the rails and they just said, you know what, we can't tolerate this anymore. And so they stopped it. And the truth of the matter, as I learned, is that if Chicago was disgusted by what the game had become, they, more than any other school in the Midwest, were responsible for creating that which ultimately disgusted them. I mean, that was what was so fascinating. They were the early powerhouse. They were the Alabama of today in, in the Midwest, and Yale was the Alabama of the entire country. And I just don't think people would, would realize that. I think there was this notion that the game was played by kind of these well-mannered Ivy Leaguers taking a break from their Shakespeare recitations for a couple hours to, you know, kick the ball around in front of a couple hundred people. And it just couldn't be further from the truth. Well, Dave, I mean, I could talk about this book all day because it's, it's, it really is interesting. I, I, I really enjoyed the, you know, learning about the, the evolution of the scoring and, and the evolution of how many players were on the field and that kind of thing, which was, you know, that you just kind of pick those up as you go through the book. It's not necessarily, you know, central. But then also, you know, learning things like how uh, universities actually used football back in the day to to get, you know, become big businesses and, and to, to get students and, and get people enrolled and that kind of thing. And it's it sort of still happens today. I mean, the the, the visibility of the football program is, is worth a ton of money in advertising. So uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, the book is called The Opening Kickoff, The Tumultuous Birth of a Football Nation. Dave Revson, lead studio host for BTN. Thanks so much for being on the Dubcast with us, and, and please come back soon. Oh, anytime. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Shani. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, we're just about out of time, Johnny, and uh, of course we would be remiss if we didn't thank, once again, Dave Revson, uh, lead studio host for BTN and an author of a pretty darn good book that uh, I still need to complete reading, but I've read most of it. <laughs> and uh, I, I promise I've read most of the most of the book, and it's really, really good. And Matt Finkus, of course, Finkus on football. Yeah. We appreciate him stopping by. We hope that he hasn't been uh, kidnapped and uh, – Taken, you know, to like Latvia or, or um, Albania or something, because Johnny and I have a particular set of skills, but it's not to get people back from the, who have been abducted. No, it's like I can balance <laughs> a spoon on my nose. Like that's, that's a, I don't think I don't think I'm rescuing anybody's daughter or anything like that. No, no. So, uh, so Johnny, before we get out of here, a final question for you. All right, I would like to hear your final question. All right, so Lane Stadium, you know, Virginia Tech. They they have their Enter Sandman song. That's their thing. Yep. That's what they do. Yep. What should be the horseshoes thing? What should Ohio State's thing be? Yeah. Uh, you know, to get the crowd pumped up and and you know get everybody excited. What do you think it should be? All right. So all right, I like to go to the gym, and what I do at the gym is I'll listen to music, like get myself pumped up, and sometimes I think you know how those things are comparable to you know like a. a a sports stadium, right? So I'll, I'll be right. listening to a song like, man, this is getting me real hyped. I do this bench press. Rah. And I go, oh, that would be cool to play at Ohio Stadium. The problem is this, okay? Interstate Man is a cool song. 
and it's cool that they get all hyped, but I like it when there's like chants associated with the song where like people sing along with it. I think that's cooler and kind of like more intimidating. Problem with so Ohio like, State, so like Chumbawamba or something? No. Is that what you're talking about? Well, okay. yeah, I guess, but a good <laughs> song. Um, but the problem with Ohio State fans is that we're like a mob. We're, we're this rural, unruly, like, you know, mob that really doesn't mm-hmm. follow any rules or organizational, like, attempts. So, like, remember when they tried to make stripes in Ohio Stadium? Like, how pathetically that failed? Yeah. You just yeah, can't organize good. anything with this group, and that's okay, but that means <laughs> you have to pick a song that reflects that. So, I initially was like, there's this really cool song by the Raconteurs, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's got this thing where they there's, like, a chant in it, it sounds really cool and, and scary and mysterious, but I don't think that would work, because I don't think anybody would memorize the chant. Um, mm-hmm. I think... Maybe something like Black Keys, Ohio. I don't know if you've ever heard that song. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's good I song. think that might work because, you know, Black Keys being an Ohio band and the song literally is Ohio. And the only thing people would have to learn is them just going, oh, Ohio. And they could remember that because it's the name of the state that they're in. And yes. I think we could pull that off. So I would go with that one. That was the one. That's I a good think. one. That's that's really good. That's, probably, that's better than what I had in mind, really. Which is, I, this is just a song that I think it gets me pumped up, and I think it, get, it would get the crowd pumped up, and I would really like to see uh, see it used in Ohio Stadium, and and that's the Beastie Boys' Sabotage. <laughs> that's a good song. It's not my favorite Beastie Boys song, but it's... Just, I, I know, it's not the best, but it's got, it's, got, it's got that driving riff that kind of gets you up and gets you excited, and I, I mean, yeah. I kind of like it. But, you know, I like your idea, because I, I think it would be cool to hear 100 and... What are we at, 108,000 now? Uh, close to it, I think, yeah. So 108,000 people going, oh, oh, hi Yeah. hi That'd be yeah, pretty yeah, cool. That'd be great. Uh, and it's just, you know, the thing is you can't go too obscure. Like, I, I'm, a, you know, I like I like rap, but I don't like, you know, I'm not a big, like, uh, I don't know. That's not, you know, I like Kendrick a lot, actually. But I'm typically not like a, a like Nicki Minaj, like trap music or stuff like that. I like the more <laughs> lyrical stuff. So the problem is, is that you can't really translate that super well to a big stadium. So you need something with, like, a driving line. I think Ohio kind of fits that bill a little bit. It's not my personal preference, but I think it's the one that would work the best. I like it. I like it. I mean, it's not my favorite Black Keys song, but I do like it quite a bit. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, a, a particular website that covers Ohio State sports uh, used to post that after games when uh, Ohio State was successful. The video for that, that is. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I think it would, it would tie in nicely with Eleven Warriors. Yeah, I think that would work very well. We, if anything, we need to to have the entire stadium chant something related to Eleven Warriors, like Johnny and Michael, Eleven Dubcast, Johnny and Michael, Dubcast, 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 Dubcast. Okay, we expect to hear that against Hawaii. That's right. <laughs> so let's make that happen out yes. there. Yes, and I, I want them to. I want Blocko to have placards, uh, and when they hold it up, my face appears. And uh, block it. They need to do that. <laughs> yeah. ASAP. And wear, wear your That's Ohio's Moon t-shirt or your uh, 85 Yards to the Heart of the South right. t-shirt when you do it. And and you'll be styling. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, Johnny, we, we got to pace ourselves because it's a long season. We're doing this weekly now. So <laughs> let's get out of here. We'll come back fresh next week. We'll be getting ready for Virginia Tech. And, uh, and we'll do it up. So right. uh, until next week, everybody, I am Michael Citro. I'm Johnny Ginner. Peace. Season preview next week. <laughs>